He peers hesitantly through his thick glasses at the camera, as though he is uncomfortable being the center of attention, even on school picture day. My eyes flick to the other photo on my desk. It's a framed picture of my sons, Logan and Will, taken down by the lake last summer. Logan is eight, just like Donnie. I turn my concentration back on the article about the missing boy, but I already know how this story will ultimately end. There will be bad news, the kind that decimates the living. Or no news at all, not ever. Good news in child abduction cases is a bona fide miracle, and I stopped believing in miracles when Ben never came home. Miracles are like Santa Claus, just stuff kids believe. My desk phone rings. I stare at it, debating whether to pick it up on deadline or to retrieve the message after I finish the story. Five o'clock. It's not my husband. David and I have been separated going on six months now. In the early days of our relationship, my once golden boy thought he could save me from the demons of my past. But after nearly ten years of trying to help me recover from the loss of my brother, and forgive myself for not being able to remember anything from the night of Ben's disappearance that could have helped the police, David walked. He packed up his suitcase one Friday after getting home from his law firm and dropped the bombshell that he was leaving. David's tone was cold and cutting as he told me he was tired of trying to fix me, tired of never being able to make me completely happy, and he couldn't live with my constant fears over our boy's safety anymore. I tried to explain that no matter what I did, I couldn't make myself into the person David wanted me to be. I watched as David's car pulled out of our driveway and couldn't believe he had given up on me and our family. But I didn't throw the blame on him entirely. No one can cut in when you're doing a slow waltz with the devil. I stare back at the ringing phone and realize David would never call on deadline unless it's an emergency about our boys. And he would try to reach me on my cell phone first. That leaves a crackpot pitching me a story about how her husband isn't paying alimony. Or it could be the cops. I take my chances and pick up the phone. Newsroom, this is Julia Gooden, I answer. Hey, it's Detective Ray Navarro. This didn't come from me, but you better get down here. A tagger found a body inside a burned-out building on the 300 block of Mount Elliott Street. It's a kid, and the body matches Donnie Boyner's description. I breathe out and stare back at the picture of the shy little boy with the wire-framed glasses in the missing persons photo. Julia, you there? Navarro asks. Did you call LaVita Boyner yet? Yeah. The coroner just got here, and then we'll take the body down to the morgue to be identified. We're keeping this off the scanner for now. So unless another member of the media is tipped off, you'll be the only reporter at the scene. I appreciate the tip. I'll be there. I just need to take care of something first. I hang up my desk phone and recall my meeting last week with the man in the tweed jacket. Post-traumatic stress with borderline paranoid personality disorder. That was my diagnosis. I finally relented after years of resistance to David's urging and saw a psychiatrist to talk about my brother. I was becoming obsessed with protecting our sons. No little league for Logan, despite his pleas, since sleazy strangers with nefarious intentions could be watching. 
No playdates or friends unless I had a sit down with the parents first, which was more like 20 pointed questions on my end and usually scare them off. There were no babysitters, not even David's father and stepmom, and subsequently no date nights after the children came. The topper was when Logan won a lunch with his principal, Mr. Brandish, during a charity auction at his elementary school to raise money for the PTA. Logan was supposed to ride to the restaurant in Mr. Brandish's car, but I pitched a fit to David, who told me to lighten up for just one time in my entire life and not spoil Logan's afternoon. I pretended to acquiesce, but I secretly went to the school, followed the principal's car to the restaurant, and sat in the back of the pizza place trying to blend in with the lunch crowd as I kept my eyes glued on my son. But Logan saw me which he inadvertently shared with the family during dinner that night. David blew up. The counseling was...